0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and Al Levy.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and Al to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends. And we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S. And you can find AL at AL Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast, so please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a
0: share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is my friend Will Putney, who is, in my opinion, one of the very best producers, mixers in metal today, but he's also a great guitar player. One of the guitar players for the band fit for an autopsy and also end and he's the dude that tracks almost all of fit for an autopsy's guitars in the studio with the exception of leads and writes a whole lot of the music and i thought it would be a great idea to have him on to talk about his perspective as a guitar player that produces himself because that is a lot of you so here it goes Will Putney, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
2: What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. Hello, mate. Thank you for being here. It's cold here, and I am uh, tired because I was up late mixing, but I'm happy to chat today. Lots to chat about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm not surprised that you're up late mixing. I feel like you're always up late mixing and then up (laughs) early
2: working again we're over the hill the pandemic rush of bands has slowly started to subside and i got uh, i've got uh a little bit of plan time off to work on a new some new studio construction this month so it's not so bad it's actually kind of nice right
0: now <laughs> building a studio <laughs> that's what you're saying but we did the how it's done course before the pandemic and uh, you were working like that so
2: yep it's uh you know I like my job, so it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: fair enough. I just want to intro this real quick before we dive in. Uh, those of you that are familiar with Will, which should be just about all of you, may have heard Will on the URM podcast or seen as Nail the Mix or how it's done course. And uh, that was that was delivered primarily from Will's standpoint as a producer who produces other artists. But Will's band, Fit for an Autopsy, just released a new album and uh, Will tracks most of the guitars himself, not the leads or anything, but uh, primarily writes most of the stuff, tracks most of the stuff. Those of you who listen to this, most of you track your own music. You guys are not going to producers for the most part or you are tracking your own guitars for your albums or you're doing your own pre-pro. Most of you track yourselves. That's kind of a constant, almost a universal norm among guitar players. So I figured we would talk to Will from that perspective. And Will, one thing I'm curious about is, did you start as a guitar player and then started producing in order to be able to record your own music? Or did you start as uh, someone that wanted to produce first and just picked up guitar as a uh, something that would make you a better producer? Like, because metals, guitar-oriented music, tons of guitar players, would be helpful to at least be able to do something on guitar.
2: Sure. Yeah, I did start as a guitar player. Not that I wasn't interested in record producing, but I never really saw it as like a... Oh, I could do that for a living that's that could be a job that could be the thing I do I like i was a I was a guy in bands I grew up in a scene here I played in a bunch of bands. It was always like, oh, I love playing guitar. this is like my, I'm passionate about it I would you know took my lessons I was playing as many shows as I could locally tried to get bands off the ground like and and it for me that was like always the thing I was the most interested in. I had never really been in like a real studio environment. it was just local studios and you know things as a kid like just it was different 20 years ago like you couldn't get the quality of production that you can get on a, on a laptop like these things didn't really exist then nope. you know nope. at all so recording was like oh this guy has this you know if you were a local band recording in like the late 90s was like oh this guy has this board that you could record to cassette and you could leave with a cassette and that was your recording <laughs> you know so it was like yeah you know, obviously there were big studios and like classic you know plenty of pro records got made you weren't exposed to the like advanced technology and mega convenience of what digital recording is today. So I didn't have any of that. So like as a, you know, playing in bands as a kid, recording was like an alien thing to me because it was like, well, there's no, what do you do? You hit record on the tape player and that's, that's recording at the time, you know, later in life, like when I hooked up with Machine and I finally like, learned what what you could do in the studio, what record producing really was, is when that became, like, my passion. But at that point, I had already been playing guitar for a long time. Of course, I used, like, what I picked up in the studio to be like, oh, now I can record my own music like this, you know, and my friends' bands, and I could write music in the studio. Like, all of those tools became available available to me, but later in life, you know, so it wasn't... um, I definitely was was like an instrument and hand guy for a long time before I really discovered what recording was all about.
0: Same here, what about you, Brown?
1: Yep, same for me. In fact, my first way of recording was a, uh, I had like a beat box that had like a line out on it. And I used to daisy chain between two cassette recorders. So I'd record a take from one tape to another and back and forth. <laughs> Incredible. And And, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it was, I mean, I fucked it up after four layers of something, I'd have to redo the whole thing. That was sort of the intro. And then obviously drum kit from hell came out and then changed the entire game,
0: basically of what was possible with writing. And my first one was a a Walkman. I would uh, just hit record on the Walkman with, with its mic and just play a guitar line and then rewind and play and then learn a harmony or something over it and then just write it down. (laughs)
2: <laughs> we yeah, our first recording was my first band's demo. We always had like a two track, you know, a regular stereo cassette, like put it in the box and hit record. And we would record practices and stuff. But our buddy had one that could do four tracks oh, instead wow. of two. So we're like, oh, my God, we can play. tech. We could put four microphones in and and record our band practice. And that was my first recording, you know, that we actually like burnt, you know, high speed dubbed our own cassette tapes and then and, and printed out little inserts. But it was like, wow, four tracks instead of two. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get to eight? We went to in South River. This guy, this dude, John, who actually is like now a front of house guy and stuff, uh, had a little studio with like a. I think it was like a tiny, I want to say like a Yamaha mixer, but I think we could do 16. So that oh, was shit. the big, that was the big upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. And some overdubs and things. Yes. Yeah, so that that was like really the first time I ever made a, like a more traditional recording, but it was, uh, yeah, it was like, at the time, like I said, it, I didn't understand any of it. It was also alien to me. It was just like, okay, tell me what to do. All right, here we go. <laughs> do you think that it's
0: a, an advantage for modern guitar players to be able to record themselves at the level that it's available to
2: them now? It's definitely an advantage. Like because for me, it made me so much better at guitar because yeah, same. It's such a revealing process. I think people until you go through that, you're not even aware. Of where your shortcomings are, you know, like jamming with a band in a room and thinking that, oh, yeah, I got this part. This is all sounding great in here with all the bleed and noise and, you know, the inability to hear the detail. Once you're actually isolated recording yourself, like it's it's very uh, a a very humbling experience the first time, you know, and uh, I learned a lot about like, oh, man, I'm not nailing this. I'm not doing. What I thought was in my head is not what I'm hearing back. You know. Working through that stuff definitely makes you much better at not only just getting the proper takes for albums, but it, it it tightens up your playing in ways you would never even know or consider, you know, without having without going through that.
0: Your focus on the little details is just when you're playing, you know, there's so many factors that are distracting you. Like the just the act of playing takes a part of your brain power, right? Just, just the physical motion of playing takes part of your brain power. You know, if you're not that loud, you're hearing pick noise in the room. If you're playing with other people, you are watching them too. There's like so many things taking away certain percentage points from your total brain power and your total focus that there's no way that you could catch everything. Just stuff is gonna get missed there's there's just no way around it I really think that recording yourself is the it's the way in the light if you really want to know where you're at which is why when I hear people say that musicians were better back in the day <laughs> I think that that's one of the most ignorant stupid idiotic I'll just go on and on and on it just <laughs> Ridiculous things I hear people say Because, uh, yeah, musicians were great back in the day uh, Of course uh, There were always great musicians But the level that people can get to now Because they have this feedback loop Of recording themselves, hearing themselves Analyzing themselves Doing it better Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat The level that they can get to now At least technically is so much further than it used to be So It's insane
2: I would say I'm almost there with you on your yeah. hard stance on musicians were not better back in the day. I think bands were better back in the day. Fair because enough. Because there were no, these tools weren't available. So yep. to be tight, the amount of like rehearsal and skill level you had to have to just the, the inner, you know, the interplay between jamming with a band, like how, perfect and in sync some of these like classic bands were like that is lost on a lot of people today it's it's honestly one of the shortcomings of the digital age is you have a lot of you have a lot of kids at home with a laptop and they're jamming and they're tight and maybe their drummers rehearsing but you put them in a room together and you take the technology away and It's not what it used to be, you know, and it's not what they're it's not what they're rehearsing to. It's kind of not. There is something lost in that sense. You listen to some of these older bands that only play together as a band. And there's like some magic that happens there because there's this pocket that they formed over time and these little tempo things and this this like live groove that does get lost in today's age. So I think maybe sure if you can like the full isolation of the modern age and all the tools that can sort of elevate players to new levels definitely exists, but I do think uh there was like some magic to only being able to be a band and rehearse as a band and 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 that that like um that I always see as like a a downfall to the modern age of like the way you practice and record and things like that. It's stuff I try to work into records with the right kind of bands where we're actually like doing more live stuff, doing pre-production live, you know, trying, you know, if I get lucky, I can grab some takes that are off the floor, whether that's the drummer or the guitar player. Um, But yeah, I, it's like, there is like sort of that, that trade off a little bit. I think a lot of it, comes down to and this is something that when I started rehearsing in the computer and using these tools and stuff like that is it like the natural tempo of music and the way that detail disappears when you kind of put you know you put the metronome up and you're tracking to something really tight and all of a sudden you're like you you've tightened up as a player and you're very More precise, more mechanical, more on the beat, you know, but it's like music doesn't always sound like that. And some of the best music and some of the best live bands don't sound like that, you know, like for certain styles, obviously with metal there, there is like an inherent positive trait to that level of tightness but with other bands it kind of takes some of the soul out of it too so it's like there is this give and take to to that to that like level of rehearsal and that method you know
1: i think also it's not necessarily that bands have gotten not as good i think um, what it is is that back then you couldn't also tune a vocal so what's happened now in the modern age is given maybe the less good musicians and elevated them more towards the level of what we experienced before with those bands, but then they can't pull it off in a live situation, which is why those older bands in a
0: way were kind of better. Absolutely. Did either of you guys see Pantera by any
2: chance? Yeah, a few times.
0: Okay, so like when you talk about bands from earlier eras that were just smoke modern bands. That's the first thing that comes to mind is that level of tightness is just godly. And I don't think it's us sitting here being like older dudes or something. (laughs) Like they really were savagely tight. I actually never saw them. So sorry.
2: I think a lot of that style of energy and like movement that gets lost in modern recordings, like I said, comes from not being in a room with your with your band members and not rehearsing like that, you know? So like the sweet spot is to do both things. You know, I think that elevates you as a player the best way possible. You know, the the tools that are available now to rehearse and improve as a as a guitar player in the computer are awesome. But then also making sure that translates to your band the right way, you know, also also is like the other side of that coin, which I think you know, the combination of both is what really makes bands magical.
1: I think that's really important, actually. The main reason being is that you can get as tight as you want to a recording of your track to a metronome that's been edited. But the moment that you get into a room with a drummer, even if they're playing to a click track, the, the feeling of it is totally different. And the two different drummers can play the same song and it will be different. Like this, it's not going to feel the same.
2: A lot of what I try to do when I'm with bands in the studio is like finding what is actually the real, the real feel and the real tempo of the band, you know, and, and a lot of times guitarists, especially from like a creation standpoint, will write guitar in the computer, rehearse guitar, like be, it it will sound right until it goes to a full band scenario. And then I'm like, oh, it's a little off. Something's weird now. Like now this is fast. Like now this is uncomfortable. You know, when you hear it with a, with a programmed drum kit or, you know, you, you hear a certain tempo in the computer and you're like, yeah, that sounds good. That's, that's, I think that's what it's supposed to be. But then you hear like a real drummer playing. You're like, oh, is that too fast? Is that impossible? Is this part too slow now? Like the transition from this to this feels weird. So it's like the natural tempo of like, how music should interact and and feel from part to part, like is like a big part of it too, you know?
0: Yeah. Tell me if you've noticed this is sometimes when programming drums and then, you know, writing song, programming drums, tracking guitars to that, like I get this urge to speed it up, speed it up. I think to make up for the lack of feel. And then whenever I've then worked on those songs with a drummer, a good drummer, not all the time, but a lot of the times they feel better about 20% slower. They feel great. And I was wondering why, like I was really trying to think about why. And I came to the conclusion that it's because the there was no... No real feel or energy you know, to the program drums, so I was trying to make up for it with speed. And that was not necessary when you got Kevin Talley in the room, so you could slow it down and focus on pocket more. Have you guys noticed that as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, new ideas are always comfortable slower, like yeah. for me. At least when I'm writing a part, if it's um, like a technical riff or if there's like some math involved, there's some movement. If it's not super familiar to you, your your brain is processing what's happening and what you're playing. And it's like a lot of times I realize like this part could be better faster, even when it's like, you know, in a scenario where you're that you're addressing. It's like if there's a drummer who's feeling more comfortable because the part's slower, it's like, well, is it more comfortable because it's slower because you're still kind of learning it, or it's like it's not <laughs> locked into your brain yet, or you're like, hey, play it for an hour, then let's try it, you know? Like,
0: okay, so what I'm talking about, I discovered with songs that were already recorded that we toured on. So, like, a year later or something, I'm changing my story a little bit, but you just jogged a memory. A year <laughs> later, after like playing the songs 200 times on stage to the click, uh, we started experimenting with the tempos and just found that a lot of these songs were better, like 10 BPM slower or 15 BPM slower and we knew how to play them and it wasn't the first time.
2: Oh, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I think it's subjective to the song, the part, you know, but yeah, I I think tempo is like a sometimes overlooked but very important part about what makes yes. you sound good and tight you know
1: i think that one thing that we do during our recordings and we've just finished recording our our latest record is we actually move tempos by sometimes as little as 1 beat per minute going to different sections or moving to different sections because that 1 beat per minute can actually make a huge difference in how it feels transitioning and i think that a lot of modern metal often just stays at the tempo throughout a track and no experimentation is done um after you've finished it just to see oh what happens if we you know slow down into the chorus by a couple of beats per minute does it make a huge difference does it make it feel bigger and i think that that is often lost that you know you were saying with the live band that would just naturally happen and it's about creating those natural moments that were there in previous music before drummers were playing to click tracks
2: yeah, it's, it's uh, like I'm always aware of it producing. And I think on most of my records, if you look at what a tempo map looks like, it's like that, you know, it's up and down and up and down and kind of all over the place. And it's like the moves that you feel, but you don't hear that are always interesting to me, you know, because it helps enhance a part or create like an effect where it's like the average listener doesn't know that this part got four BPMs slower, but it does something to the music where you now you feel a little different you don't know why but it's like those are those like magical spots where like comes from good rehearsal and it comes from like a well thought out arrangement of a song but it's it's definitely something when I get you know outside mixes or or if it's something I didn't produce where I'll hear and I'll be like yeah this is now it's just very robotic you know by by nature and, and it happens all the time
0: how detailed or how far down the rabbit hole do you go with those tempos and uh, is it like something where you know say a riff goes four times but there's a fill on the last uh on the last two bars or something of the riff do you uh will you go to the level of speeding the fill up or slowing the fill down or is it more just like the te- riff per tempo
2: kind of thing i mean uh, yeah. tempo per riff I'll I'll definitely dig in on that level, you know. On on some records where the where the band is like on it enough, I'll map live tempos off the band, which part by part, you know, could be wildly different in a song and, and um the that push and pull of like fills and transitions and stuff could be different every time, you know. There's definitely, you know, a few records that I've done where it's like every couple bars something's changing you know the other thing too is like especially in you know more technical metal and things like that if you're playing a riff at a certain tempo and it feels good but then there's like something like a really fast run or like a a a part that is like not unobtainable but like considerably harder where like it's too fast or the notes are lost like sometimes slowing stuff down so like that moment has a little more time to shine it's more executable like it's definitely been an advantage you know and on the flip side like ramping things up the same way works really good like if there's a if the part that comes after is faster and there's the fill that bridges the gap between the two like i'll ramp that tempo up not even sometimes it's not even like a whole number sometimes i'll play with like the actual curves of tempo ramps and have things move a little more naturally. It's like, okay, this part doesn't just jump to a tempo. It slows down or it speeds up over two bars. And then we're at our new target tempo. So it's like, yeah, there's like, there's a ton of detail to put into that stuff. And if you go, you know, if you do that kind of work and you hear like what the song was and then what it becomes after that sort of attention to detail on that, it really can like change the feel of a song in a really cool way.
0: When when you do that, uh, are you still gonna do like your like uh, people who aren't familiar with your production style may not know that you do tons of guitar layers, like especially with rhythms, um, like lots of stuff, like everything. I, I've seen you do up to like eight rhythms, um, you know, everything from two to eight. Like when you have those types of tempo ramps and fluctuations, uh, do you still go through with that many guitar layers.
2: Oh, if it needs it. Yeah. We'll suffer through it. If it's like for the greater good, you know, (laughs) suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Good word choice. (laughs) When, when I meet someone, they're like, why does it take you weeks to record a band? It's like, well, this is why. Okay. Sometimes it sucks, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's whatever it calls for, you know? And if it's like annoying to retract this thing multiple times and the tempo is like hard to grab, like sometimes it just, it just has to get done.
1: I wish it only took me weeks to record
2: guitars. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're one of those in the fishbowl trackers, I see. Interesting.
1: No, 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 no. I I prefer the sound of um, minimal editing. Oh. I want it to have the nuances of me playing live in a good way, you know. Yeah, Brown's nuts. Nuts, that's the wrong word.
2: (laughs) Do you play the same part like hundreds of times looking for the one? is that is that oh yeah see you need you need a guy there to help you to be like that's the one and then you're like oh yeah that is the one thank you i'll stop that is very very
0: true (laughs) see i agree brown you need that
1: i know like the thing is right so the last record we recorded with um it was with carl bones assistant i don't know if you're familiar but it got comped in the end just to get that you know super tight sort of sound but after that i was like it's not really what I want to hear it. I want to hear when I slide from the eighth fret to the second fret in a really musical way. I don't want someone to cut that shit out because I'm never going to cut that shit out live. It's going to happen. You know, it's a guitar.
2: You're a very (laughs) confident guitar player who knows exactly what you want to hear. That's a blessing and a curse. You know, I've definitely experienced that in the studio too, where it's like, you're going to get great takes, but when is your brain going to allow you to say, I've got this great take now. You know, like I'm I would imagine if you recorded a part a hundred times looking for that slide, that 30 of them to the listener were exactly the same. But for you, you wanted (laughs) for you, you wanted that one. You know, so it's like there is a point, there is like a subtle point of diminishing returns, but hey, if you're patient with yourself and you have the time to work through it, it's super rewarding too, you know. Um I track myself in a similar way with the, the mindset of like, okay, I've produced hundreds of records. I definitely know what counts. Like, so let's just make sure that's all there. Then let's have fun with the rest and see, you know, I'm probably at this point in my life, I'm probably somewhere in the middle because I've just learned that I'll sleep better and be a better player. If I don't, go crazy through the process (laughs) you know it's definitely impressive to work through stuff on that level like i'm always you know and i think for you too like when i hear your stuff it's like okay it's fucking awesome like he's he's doing it right (laughs) so
1: (laughs) well thank you i do appreciate that but at the same time there is a certain level of you do have to allow for the fact that some of it's probably going to have to be comped from multiple takes because you're not going to achieve exactly what you want to achieve. It might just be down to the day as well. That's one thing to always bear in mind. It might just be a shit day.
2: (laughs) Yep. Sometimes it happens. I've definitely picked up a guitar, sat down be like, I'm going to record the song today. And an hour later, I'm like, I'm going to go watch TV. This is, (laughs) this is just not what I want right now. Okay.
0: How do you determine that? Because I feel like the mental side of allowing yourself to be like, it's not happening today. Is actually really tough to get to. But for a lot of people, for a lot of, you know, hyper achieving musicians or producers, it that's a really hard thing to admit to yourself. Like it's not happening today. I'm not a loser. Today's just not the day. If I do it tomorrow, I'll get it done in a tenth of the time, ten times the quality that it would be today.
2: I'm a very self aware guitarist. Also a very average guitarist. Like I am not a shredder (laughs) like unfortunately I don't have like the hours in the day to rehearse on the level that would put me in a place where I was like man I kick ass at guitar like it just doesn't exist anymore and it hasn't for a while so I know there's this like sort of warm-up period for me you know and and I don't unfortunately have the killer muscle memory and the precision that a lot of guys who I admire do you know and um I I know that I'm gonna fail. <laughs> like I've I've already <laughs> set myself up to be like, sometimes you are just gonna suck at guitar because you don't play guitar enough to be awesome all the time, you know? And uh when I go into tracking, like I try to put a schedule together where I'm like, these are a little easier, maybe I'll start with these, this will kind of warm me up. Like I I'm I'm not the conditioned player that I that I wish I was, you know. So I will hit these moments where I'm like, this part is just not happening for me right now. The way I want to hear it, whether it's like a speed thing or it's like my picking hand isn't as precise as I want. Like, cause I do know what I want. And if I, if it's not coming out of me, then I have to figure out why. And and instead of just like suffering through the wrong takes, I kind of take a minute and go, all right, how do I get this? What do I got to do here? You know, and maybe that's like me sitting down the next day and, you know, down picking for a freaking hour until like my hands feel in the right way or like sort of just reviewing an exercise or two. But like sometimes I like I just know that I'm not the greatest and it's going to sometimes I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board on how I'm approaching things.
0: You know, that's a smart way to look at it. It is a smart way to look at it. But what I'm wondering is so by your own words. So you have come to the conclusion that you're not the greatest guitar player, but you've also come to the conclusion that you are definitely good enough to get the job done for recording, which is weird in a way, even though I feel the same way about myself. It's, it's a weird thing because we're not good enough kind of people, right? Like I don't like, I know that you're not a good enough kind of person. So it's kind of an interesting mindset to say, I am good enough to do this on guitar. But I think that there's a nuance to it. It's because you know exactly what goes into uh, what the parameters are for what you're working on and you know that you can meet those parameters. So what I'm wondering is, what are those parameters what are the things that you're looking for in your own playing what are the things that you don't distract yourself with
2: if i'm writing music or recording music at some point when it's done whatever stage that demo is like i'm listening back i'm thinking about what the song feels like what what this should sound like you know where these influences came from and it and it all kind of swims in my head you know it's hard to kind of Put it all into words, but it's like if I hear a riff and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool," and it's cool because it reminds me of like maybe some other guy who has a playing style like this or like you know, there's a lot of you know specifically with fit. There's a lot of like sort of rhythmic, percussive, a lot of down picking stuff, a lot of patterns and start and stop stuff where you know I can take cues from you know dudes like vog from Decapitated or things like that where I'm like, okay, like that that's like my dream hand. I'm not as good as him. I could make it sound like him from time to time if I get it right and I'm warmed up, you know, so like for, and then in this particular example, it's like, I'll practice some stuff that's in that world. I'll speed it up a little bit. I'll like get myself as close as I can to it. And then I'm like, all right, that's the best I can do. That's that. And it sounds cool now. And here it is, you know, so it's like, I've um, like, I try to find the best version of what I'm going for from other people or other players and be like, all right, now I have to, I have to get myself into that. Like I got to get there, you know? So I'll isolate things that are like that. Same thing with like leads and overdubs and stuff. It's like, you know, my, my vibrato is like, okay, but it's not, you know, the sweetest in the world. And then I'll just like, it'll take a minute sometimes I'll have to jam some stuff and listen. Like, all right, he's, he's wiggling here. Like this slide to this note is a little smoother. Like, and I'll, you know, some of it sits in my head where I don't even really need to reference things because it's just like you listen to music long enough and you just know like that's the sound, you know. But um, I've all I've always like kind of set targets for parts, and that's helped kind of guide me and kind of get my get my takes up to the point where I'm like, okay, I feel pretty confident about what I just put down now because I I at least had a baseline, you know. And then sometimes it's just your ear, man. Sometimes it's just like it's not what I want to hear. Like, it's not attacky enough. It's not, I'm not picking the right way. Like I'm, it's a little too noisy. It's not, you know, there's like precision in playing where, when you hear it back, so naked and stuff like at this point, it's become obvious to me where, where I would be blowing it or where I'm succeeding um, on a given record. And then it's like, all right, I got to rehearse this a little more. I got to isolate this. So it's a little bit of trial and error, a little bit of like, Being aware of your influences, I think, also helps that. Almost like referencing when mixing. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I don't, like, go to Spotify and be like, how's he downpick, you know, (laughs) uh, anymore?
0: You just said anymore, though. So at some point you did?
2: I guess at some point I did. I don't know if it was, like, a direct A to B style thing. I think it was more of, like, just the wealth of material that sits in my brain for years of listening to music, Mm -hmm. you know? I know when I've heard records with great guitar playing, I've definitely, like, it's drawn my ear to it over time where I've been like, this is awesome. Why, why is this awesome? And then I kind of like think about it and try to figure it out. And at some point I probably would have picked up a guitar and be like, can I make this sound? Like, how am I doing this? You know? Like I remember, um, there's a band called the red cord. There's old, um. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And he had a really unique picking style. He played like backwards. I don't know. He's the guy's a crazy, awesome guitar player, but really had a really unique tone to his hand and I remember hearing like one of the first tracks off of uh fed through the teeth machine I think that record where I was like there's like some up pick thing that's happening I don't know I can't make that sound I have to figure out how to make that sound so I'd find like a video you know I've definitely like stalked players throughout my life to be like, how is he doing that? Like, I want to make that sound. I want to put that sound into, into my music. I have to go find out how, how that's being made, you know? And I think, you know, there's countless examples of that, but it's like, you know, the first time you heard like the choked Meshuggah pick, the first time I heard the morbid angel pick scrape, like all these like cool metal isms that have happened you know, over the years where I'm like, what is that? How do I make that? And then you just like, go try to find that, find your version of it. And then it's like, now it's in my arsenal. Cool.
0: Yeah. By the way, just to circle back to what we first started with, that is one of the advantages that modern players have is the ability to, to stock great guitar players. And uh, the, you know, back in the day, we had guitar world magazine where some transcriber would tell you what A great guitar player was doing (laughs) to some degree of accuracy, (laughs) good or bad. Now you, you know, and for the past 15 years, we could just go see what that guitar player was
2: doing and
0: model it.
1: Didn't Van Halen used to turn Turn around? around. That's exactly what I was about to say.
2: So you couldn't see how he was pulling certain licks off and stuff. And it's like, now I could go on YouTube and watch anybody in the world play anything. And half of them have playthroughs isolated, where I where it's just a, a bunch of cameras on their hands, you know. So it's like, yeah, we're we're for sure spoiled now in that sense.
0: I didn't know Van Halen did that.
2: Yeah, he used to like hide. I don't remember what riff; might have been like the Eruption part or something. Yeah. But he would he would like turn his back to the cabs so you couldn't see. How he was pulling it off, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah.
1: It's fucking great. Crazy, isn't it, that the, the that was how you protected a secret back in the day. Now that you can't.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's no secrets now. You can be sick, but people will Cut copy up. you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. The way to differentiate yourself nowadays isn't through the stuff that people can copy or doing it before anybody else. Uh, And then by the time they copy it, you're already on to the next thing.
2: Sure. I mean, it, it always comes down to good songs. Like that's what everything goes back to whether I'm trying to write music or record my own stuff or produce other bands. It's like all these like things we're nerding out about are very cool, but it's like in the grand scheme, like, if Van Halen didn't write jump and have a mega hit, like how many people would really know that Eddie hid his riffs? You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> you just, you need good songs. And I I learned a long time ago that I wasn't going to be the shredder player. I came to terms with that basically as I started producing records and then worked with like real crazy players where I was like, Oh, I can see what this practice regiment and sort of conditioning is like to get to this level. And it's like, uh, I can produce records and be okay guitar, or, or I could jump into this, but I c- couldn't do both. You know, there's just not enough hours in the day. So I realized like, I should pay attention to songs. Like that's where I think I'll excel. I think I I'm fortunate enough to work with great players now where I don't have to rely on my guitar abilities all the time, you know, and, and there, there are tons of people that come to the studio that are much better than me, but I can help them, you know, tailor their songs to be better songs and let them be the great player. And that's where, um, I think when that clicked for me is when I started to make better music across the board with, with bands, with my own projects. And it's like sort of my sweet spot that I'm happy with, very happy with in life.
1: I think that's a, a really good lesson for everyone to know is that it doesn't matter if you can eight finger tap or sweep faster than Yngwie Malmsteen. If the song isn't there, then it's just not, no one's going to care.
2: Yeah. It's been, um, it's, it's hard to undo that way of thinking, too, with a lot of players, you know, where it's like, yes, I know this guitar part is very complicated and very cool, but to the listener, this does, isn't like a great song or a great part. It's just a hard part, you know, and there are bands whose, you know, careers are being technical, you know, and, be, and being difficult, which is definitely a side. Uh, it's definitely a genre of music that people enjoy and and I think... You know, I do think there's like a ceiling on that kind of stuff. But even all of my favorite guitars who are like awesome, like, you know, world class players, sort of have really good music too. Like for me, I don't I I don't gravitate to music just because it's hard. It has to be good too. And if it's good and hard, then that's awesome. But it but if it's just hard, I'm not super interested in it,
0: you know. Well, the bands that we've been mentioning, like uh Morbid Angel, Meshuggah, uh, like those types of bands that did and do make difficult music, like their music's cool. That's kind of the thing is their music is cool. Like when I think of uh, Gojira bringing back the, you know, the harmonic rake, Morbid Angel style riff, their music's good. No one would care otherwise.
2: I agree. I think, I mean, Gojira is a perfect example of a band that prioritizes songs, you know, like they, obviously there's, complicated stuff especially in the drum side there's like some insanely technical drumming and difficult things that happen and there's there's tricky riffs and stuff too but generally it's it's not over the top impossible music you know and i think they've risen to be one of the biggest metal bands in the world in a sea of really talented musicians because they're they have great songs you know and um like I'm I'm sure when they're sitting down to write and their approach is like they're thinking about the vibe and energy of a song and how it's going to translate and all, all the big picture stuff that makes them as special as they are, you know, and um, that's definitely lost on isolated younger generations of kids who are just doing laptop music and, and only sitting in a computer and rehearsing and stuff. There's there are there's, there's a, a wealth of people out there who don't put their minds there and then don't create music that's as impactful.
0: I mean, you get more of what you focus on, right? And I think that what you just said about knowing what your sweet spot was, like coming to terms with not being the shredder and being happy to focus on songs, you know, you get what you focus on. If you focus on just shredding or just laptop recording, that is what you're going to get more of. So if you want, to create better songs, I mean it's so simple, but uh, <laughs> you really do need to just make that your focus.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, it's un- I mean it's
0: not that simple. No, it's no, the, the concept, <laughs> the con, it's simple, but it's difficult. That's what it is.
2: Exactly, it's always that like, uh, you know, when your mom asks you why why don't you just make like pop music? It's like, do you know how hard it is to write pop music? Like yeah. really, like, <laughs> like like ever. There's definitely like the metal purist guys, like oh that's. That stuff's like, that's so easy to make. I don't know why oh, people man. listen to this. It's like, <laughs> are you sure about that? You you write a radio hit. Let me, let me hear your version of this. Yeah.
1: I was actually listening to Human Nature this morning by Michael Jackson and listening to the chord movements in the chorus, and it's fucking genius. It's like the most complex sounding chords just made to sound beautiful.
2: Michael Jackson's band on the Thriller Records and, like, that that era of players that they had access to is so crazy. So crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Even, the, like, the bass lines. No one thinks about Michael Jackson and thinks about bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like... They're nuts. It's crazy. We, we always jam um, Waterfall by TLC. Ah, uh, what song? Go listen to that song and listen to the bass playing. It's, like... It could be a prog band. It's insane how good it is and clean and it, it's pocketed so good. You don't think about that when you hear that song. You think about that chorus, you know, but but it's like there's like, yeah, the the like A-level playing that, work, that sneaks its way into some pop music that just goes over people's heads sometimes because they think it's simple music. It's like I don't know many bass players that could rip that with that level of pocket, you know. And it's like, yeah, it's like it is the combination of both things that make the magic, you know, like, of course, you have to be good at your instruments, but you also have to be very song minded. You know, I think exploring both avenues make you the best well-rounded musician. So let's
0: talk about the types of things that you do focus on, though, when you are tracking yourself. Like in a fit for an autopsy context, for instance, you have a song in front of you. There's a bunch of rhythm guitars you have to record. I realized that there's like a million different things here. And a lot of this stuff does come down to instinct. I'm just acknowledging that because I realized that that's a big part of it. But let's talk about the stuff that it is objective that you do focus on, like say angle of the pick or the tuning or position of the palm, mute, like those types of things. What are the things that you focus on the most when you are sitting down to track yourself for a fit record?
2: Sure. I think fit is a very rhythm based band. Like it's there's groove stuff and there's a lot of, we're not like the, the lead stuff that happens aside from the occasional like guitar solo moment um, is very like textural in nature. And is very—is meant to be more soundscape in its design. So there's not a lot of—like, um, like the rhythm guitars is what really drives the the melody of, of the band. You know, it's like sort of that borrowed influence from a lot of the Gothenburg-style stuff and the Swedish stuff. And U- Euro metal meets, like, our modern take on, you know, aggression and, and heavy music. So— I find this, I try to find this balance where I have to both pick like a, uh, like a tight sort of, I need to create rhythms that are very percussive while at the same time, like injecting feel into certain parts. So it's this, it's this back and forth balance between, you know, precision metal riffing and then like more open sort of looser parts on the record. And um, I've, you know, different, they both require like two different approaches to guitar, obviously, you know, and, um, you know, picking is probably number one on, on the stuff that I have to do, you know, like what kind of pick am I using for this part? Where's my hand? Uh, what's the angle of the pick on the strings? You know, like it's this, like, do I do it like this? Do I do it like this? There's a lot of like back and forth trial and error, um, on certain things. Sometimes I think I know, the approach and then I actually track the riff and I'm like, mm, maybe not maybe like this, you know? So I like, I wind up, I wind up experimenting a lot with like the attack on the string and how I'm holding the pick, what pick I'm using. All, all of that sort of plays into a lot of it. Pocket on the groove stuff is a thing I've, I've learned over time. Thank God I play late on the beat. Like I'm not a, I'm not a rush guitarist. Like I've, I've conditioned myself to sit back on the beat a little bit sometimes to a fault where like oh now i sound like i'm a little too late all the time so it's something i'm i'm always aware of when i'm tracking but there's a lot of like you know mid-tempo sort of stompy stuff on the new record for example where i was like i need this to have this sort of pocket and groove a certain way but it can't sound like i'm lazy on it but it can't be ahead of the beat because then it kind of stinks you know so like finding the right pocket on certain riffs there's a lot of riffs that are kind of easy but the 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 flow and feel of it is the big challenge you know and um there's a there's a couple on this record where i was like i had to play this like dumb riff like a lot (laughs) to make it sound the way i wanted to sound and i'm like i'm correctly playing the riff every time but but i'm not landing it on the beat the way the in the place that i really want it to go so so surprisingly like some of the easier stuff like Hangs me up because I want it timed a certain way, not because the riff is hard, you know. So, so there's like, there's those moments. And then there's like, you know, on some of the more melodic parts of the record, I like to make sure I'm not being stiff, you know. It's very easy with the tools that I have and with a computer and with editing to like sterilize stuff, sort of what John was talking about earlier, where it's like, I don't, I don't prefer that sound of of editing and tracking for for fit records like it, it's not really something i'm interested in like an aesthetic for the band you know i do like that i can hear some natural guitar movements and some, and some occasional like noise and pull off and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm also like in that zone too. Sometimes where like, I'm just trying to get a take that feels good as a whole take. Like, I don't want to slice and dice this thing and cut it up. I just want it to be like, this is how it sounds. This is how it sounds when I play, it, you know? So sometimes I'm not really chasing anything, but like, I want to nail what's in my head. I want to take for me, <laughs> you know? And, um, and then I, and you know, so it's like, it's sort of, you know, like you said, a lot of this stuff is instinctual, but part by part, like it, it's always this this different landscape of what do I got to do here? What's the approach? What do I have to think about? So it's just changing and evolving thing that I think just over time, the more you work in a studio environment, the more you record yourself, you sort of learn, you know, like I was saying earlier, like these are things I have to be aware of when I sit down to, to record my music, you know, and, uh, Sometimes it's kind of hard to put into words, you know, these, this is what's jumping out at me now, but I'm sure there's so much more to this too.
1: It's interesting is that when we started this, uh, this call, we spoke about, you know, what it's like to record yourself. And it's those things, everything you just explained just then is only possible because we recorded ourselves that you can understand that playing five milliseconds later makes it feel lazy (laughs) because <laughs> you get the opportunity to try that sort of thing just by recording every single day.
2: It definitely improves you as a player hearing stuff back, but also knowing why something sounds a certain way yes. is very important. Like, like I'm, I'm saying these things that, you know, we're all talking about these, like, techniques and things to look out for and stuff, but you actually have to understand the application of it. Like, actually realizing what it is that's translating. Like, because if you can't actually hear pocket or if you can't hear you know the correct timing of parts or the or the the change in the pick like you kind of have to ear train yourself to understand um this is what type picking is this is what like a, a groove with with a lazier guitar should do like you know so like referencing stuff you know and and understanding like why this works you know is also a big part of it cuz you could just say all this stuff but if you're not really digesting the concepts you still go into tracking kind of blindly. you still don't, you, you have to really Know what it is you're lo- you're listening for.
0: How do you develop that?
2: I think you just suck for years until it clicks. <laughs> so like, you don't, suck less. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't actually know. Like, I think it's all like. And when when I'm asked like, how do you? What's the best way to learn how to record? What's the best way to do this? Well, I, it's always like you just have to do it. Yeah. Um, a I lot suck. of it. <laughs> Technique is teachable like the you know the 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 what of stuff is always teachable how things work but not like why it's cool like it's hard to it's hard to edu- it's it's really hard to like just say it and then it's like oh i get that now you know it i think it all comes from the trial and error and going through it yeah so the the part that i think
0: is is not teachable uh well there's a lot of parts that are not teachable but like to me, the most important thing that like the most important quality someone can possess uh, that will allow them to get better at this besides talent is uh, the ability to hyper focus and to go down these rabbit holes where they're asking themselves, could it be better? Why could it be better? And then actually like go down that path until it is better, like the ability to do that is what'll get you there. I think, um, because what you actually have to do every time is going to be a little different. And, um, what your ideal sound is, is going to be different than what somebody else's ideal sound is. And we all have our unique style, but the one thing that I have noticed that is in common among all the great producers, I know all the great musicians, I know like all the great writers I know is they all go down the rabbit hole. That's the thing that they have in common is, um, they do go nuts with this stuff and they've gone nuts with this stuff for a long time and no one told them they had to go nuts with this stuff or no one forced them to go nuts with this stuff. You know, whatever mentors they had, some of them had great mentors, some of them did it themselves, some of them went to college, like that stuff, that's all different. The, the thing that's not different is the obsessive nature of these people um i think that's that from what i've noticed that's how you get better is you get obsessed and you just don't stop
2: a, lo- a lot of it comes from that self awareness too of like oh i actually don't know what i'm doing i think a <laughs> lot of people have to you know i think when that clicks like yeah. then then it kind of opens the floodgates you know i mean I had no idea what I was doing, like when I started recording guitars, you know, and and like machine kind of threw me into the fire early. And luckily, like there is something to be said about working with somebody, whether that's like you working for somebody or like you go to a studio and you work with a producer who has a good knowledge base. And the experience around this stuff is that you'll, these things will be revealed to you when you're in, when you're in the room with the right people, you know, and, and, uh, It happened to me. And now when I work with like maybe a younger band for the first time, I expose all the stuff about their playing. And it's like this, you know, come to Jesus moment where like, God, I didn't (laughs) know I was this bad. And it's like, well, you're not you're you just you didn't know. How would you figure it out? Yeah, so it's like how how else would you know? And so unless someone who's done this a million times goes, hey, uh, hear this, it should be like this. So do it like this, you know. And, and it's like working with great producers, sponging off of even even just hanging around good musicians while they're working through their process. Like all of that stuff is pretty invaluable. It doesn't solve the problem. You still have to do it. You will learn like where to start with the right person.
0: Yeah, for sure. However, I know that there have been other people who have tried to work for Machine and have washed out or who have worked for you and have washed out or who have worked with anybody great and washed out. So like you still had to go down that rabbit hole. You know, Machine might have thrown you in the deep end, but you're the one who had to swim.
2: Sure. You know, we used to have this, I don't know, we haven't done it in a while, but we, when we'd have a new intern come in, we'd kind of have like some tests. We'd be like, all right, here's a vocal tune it like here's some drums like edit it but don't put it all on the grid like make it feel good like where we'd have these like little quizzes where we're like let's see let's get a baseline on what this is you know and like a lot of it is you know you you're definitely born with it or you're not sometimes you know I think I'm not a pure talent like where this because I wasn't like when I was a kid uh you know, if, if you asked me at 20 years old to pocket something or to edit something where it feels natural, I would fail miserably at it, for sure. Like, I am I worked really hard to get myself there, but I definitely wasn't born with it, you know. And I think that there's, there's people who don't know anything about the technical side of recording, but are, like, brilliant at this stuff. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we've sought people out like that where, like, you'll learn how a computer works. Like you'll learn how pro tools and logic works and what all these buttons do. But if you like have the ear, that's like the invaluable tool. Now we'll show you the rest, you know? And then there's like the guy who just watches every video, who knows everything about every piece of gear, who knows like every little recording technique, but like just isn't a musical guy and they're never going to figure it out. (laughs) Like they've put their energy in the wrong places or it's, or it's just sadly, you know, not for them. And I think like knowing where you stand and what you, where you think you can go is a big part of this stuff too. You know, the, the, the self-awareness of like, I've got to play to my strengths when it comes to being creative. I'm not the best at this. Like, I I do think there's something to be said about like, just kind of being aware of who you are as a as a musician too. I think it at least sets you down a path where you could like, I could do music for a living if I figure this stuff out. If I solve these minor problems. If I let go of the idea that I'm going to be this guy. You know, and, and and a lot of a lot of this comes down to just being aware of who you are as a musician and what you're capable of.
0: You know what helped me realize that in part about myself like uh, when I came to terms with not being the the shredder, I had to be around real great guitar players to realize uh (laughs) that's not me uh that's that'll never be me uh I could work as hard as they do at playing and I won't be as good as them they have something I don't I should work on the stuff that I have that they don't have that's straight up like I will never be able to do what they can do
1: I was gonna say I think it's important to understand that that's not necessarily a negative either
0: no like, no, my life has turned out great. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, it's worked out incredible for me. Realizing that I stink at guitar, trust me. It's sometimes, sometimes you just have to be honest with yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just because you're not a shredder doesn't mean that you won't be a great guitar player.
2: I can do the things that I need to do to express myself creatively, and I can be a benefit. For other artists who are looking to elevate songs and work with somebody who can hear who has the ear to hear certain things, you know, I've found a role that I love, you know. Exactly. To me it'd be it's way better than chasing something that I'm not.
1: And also the I guess the end goal for probably all three of us here is just to write the song that in fifty years someone will be singing back and we'll be fucking sick of it.
0: <laughs>
2: Yeah, I always <laughs> love, uh, you ever see the Billy Joel, there was like a documentary. I haven't seen it, but I'm a big fan of Billy Joel. So it might've been an old VH1 thing where where they're like, you could tell he's, he's just talking about how he's over his music because he's a brilliant musician, unbelievable piano player, great songwriter, like whether you like him or not. He's great. You know, whether you listen to Billy Joel or not, like he's like one of the best that's ever existed, you know, and they're talking to him about Like Piano Man or some of these like classic songs and how it's affected people long term. And he's just honest. And he's like, I'm so over these songs. Like I wrote them when I was a kid. They don't mean what they they don't mean anything to me anymore. And he's playing Piano Man brilliantly on the piano. And he's like, this is what I'm playing live. And he's just ripping it. And then he's like, and this is what I'm thinking about. And he's just talking about what he wants for lunch over this like (laughs) difficult, complicated thing. And it's like, it's just incredible to be like, you know, Yeah, it's like he's so successful like that song has affected so many people and it's not creatively fulfilling to him anymore Like where I was just like man, I wonder if I'll ever be there I don't think I ever will, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) because when we when we make music and it connects with people I'll always like, I'll appreciate it forever. You know, if I have to talk about a record or play a part, like in 30 years, I'll be happy that I just got the opportunity to do this for so long. You know, he's over it in such a funny way (laughs) where it's like, yeah, I I don't know. uh, Maybe success changes how you think about certain things, but the best takeaway for me would be having a song where in 30 years, it's still important to somebody. And it's like, you know, part of what I do is always I'm always like thinking about making songs that can connect with people, you know, for, for the long haul. And, and I think that's like what, you know, drives me to be a record producer. It's what motivates me to play guitar. And it's always like that is in my head is like this, you know, why you do what you do. Totally. I think this is
0: a good place to call the episode. Will I want to thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Will.
2: Thank you guys both for having me. It's a pleasure chatting as always. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon.
0: That dude is the definition of prolific. <laughs> yeah, not only prolific, but there's
1: um, there's some people in this world that I don't understand how they do everything they achieve. And Will is
0: one of those people. I can tell you how. <laughs> not sleeping. <laughs> Since I've been there when he's working and have like scheduled stuff with him a few different times now buddies at this point i can tell you that his work ethic he's one of the only people i know who like i think outworks me (laughs) it's amazing actually
1: yeah it's just the the amount of output that guy has it's not just records it's the fact that he's writing other records
0: as well yeah and playing and he's great at all of it i think people look at the level of what he does and they're like How is that possible? I wish I could do that one day. And my thoughts are, well, let's see if you could last with his schedule. First of all, like, (laughs) do you think that you could make it to the studio at 7am every day and leave at like midnight every day and maintain a marriage and like, just do that every single day for your entire life and uh, take almost zero days off. Like most people can't hang with that kind of stuff. That's a big part of it. He works constantly.
1: There's only really one way that that works, and it's when you're really enjoying what you're doing and you don't see it as work. Like he said, I like my job. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't see it as work. That's the only way that that can happen.
0: Yeah, otherwise you're going to find ways to cut corners and get out of it. Yep, exactly. Which,
1: I mean... To a degree, probably all of us do. You know, there's certain times when we don't really don't want to do
0: something, but you just have to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, for sure. But, I mean, it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about with Petrucci. Yeah. When he was saying that no one has ever had to motivate him to practice. He just does it because that's his thing. It's not even a question. He just does it.
1: But he even said that sometimes he definitely didn't want to do it, but just did it anyway. Well, yeah, he, of course. It made him feel a, better.
0: Because he's a <laughs> human. Yeah, exactly. Because he's a human. So yeah, you're going to have down periods, up periods, periods where you're tired or all that. But by and large, you know, that's the thing too, is even when people like that are not feeling like doing it, motivation doesn't come into it, habit comes into it. Exactly. they They have a habit of practicing all the time or working their asses off. And it's not like they need to motivate themselves to go do it. Their habits are so strong that they just do it anyways, regardless of how they're feeling. Motivation is only good at the very, very beginning. And it only lasts like at the very, very beginning.
1: Agreed. Yeah.
0: Motivation is for chumps. (laughs) (laughs) Habit. Professionals get
1: it done. Amateurs wait for motivation.
0: And inspiration. Yeah. Habit is it, man.
1: I agree. It's like, um, you know, I recently got a dog and the last thing that I want to do when I wake up in the morning is go in the freezing fucking cold and take that thing for a walk. Well, but yeah. <laughs> but when I, after the five minutes sulk, when I'm really tired and all I want to do is have a coffee, once I start it, then it's fine. And I think that that's one hurdle that people just need to learn to get over once you've actually started it it's not actually all that bad
0: yeah and also in that case it's like which habit are you trying to build are you trying to build the habit of cleaning up shit every morning or clean the (laughs) habit of walking outside so if it's between building a habit of cleaning up shit or taking a walk I'll choose the walk exactly yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly. It's like uh, no matter what you're doing, you're building a habit, right? So if you, yep. the habit is like to not practice or to let your feelings get the best of you. That's what you're reinforcing. Whatever you do more of, you reinforce because we are creatures of habit. So don't take it lightly, basically, because what you do and what you do again and again and again and again becomes kind of who you are
1: Yep, in a way. It does. And that actually brings us to Riff Hard and the schedule. We actually put that in place for our... Uh, members to
0: practice to so they can actually
1: get into this idea of habit
0: yeah exactly what's cool about the schedule too and by the way now um i've been making the schedules based on my own practice routines and what's cool about them is they they span everything from warm-ups to rhythm playing to lead playing to quote-unquote cool downs um and they are curated as in we are picking uh a very structured routine based off of stuff that's on our site to make it work together because i think one of the hardest things people have is building a practice routine but we build it for you and not just that we change it every single week so just as you think it's going to start get boring or something it has changed up on you but they build off of each other you know you could jump in at any point or you could start at the beginning and work your way through or you know, if you sign up tomorrow or today and just come into the current schedule, it'll work as well. But we take the guesswork out of building a practice routine that's actually going to work. And what's cool about it is you can spend as little or as much time on it as you want. So like for instance, on Monday, I had a flight and meetings all day long. So I was like, am I going to practice today? Like (laughs) I want to, I just want to be able to maintain today. So like in between two of the meetings, I did four schedule exercises, five minutes a piece, then put the guitar away, finished my meetings, went to the airport. I couldn't do more, but I was like, I do have 20 minutes. Like I could find 20 minutes to make it happen. And I still feel like I made progress that day. And that's part of what's really cool about the schedule is those of you with super busy lives too, it provides you a way to still make progress in a meaningful way on the guitar.
1: And everyone has 10 minutes a day at different points of the day where you just, instead of scrolling Facebook or scrolling Instagram, just pick up that guitar, just get it in.
0: Yep. There's another thing about it too. Speaking of if you only have five minutes, 10 minutes here, five minutes there, 15 minutes, one one excuse I've seen from a lot of guitar players, and I used to do this too, is that's not enough time to get warmed up. So it's not worth even doing, but the way we have the schedule worked out now including the Riff Hard metronome, which uh, has a few um, settings that we show you how to use. If you use it the way that we describe to use it, by the end of that five-minute segment or 10-minute segment, you will be warmed up and you will get the benefit from the exercise. So that is worked into it. Like The exercise will warm you up if you do it the way that we say. So it addresses that. So if you only have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, it's not an excuse. You want to get better at guitar, open up that schedule, and get to fucking work. Brown, it's been a pleasure. Yep. I'll see you next week, mate. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Rivar Podcast. We'll see you next week.